Good afternoon, everyone. Happy Sabbath to all of you. What a blessed day it is, and who would believe it? We just finished celebrating the Feast of Tabernacle of the last great day, just exactly a week ago at this time. And just where all these days just, just, just gone, just evaporated so quickly, and here we are, already a week after the last great day on our regular weekly Sabbath. And we usually like to remind you Every single week, when are we on the, on the clock when it comes to the major observance in the Bible? And as you probably remember each week, we just remind you, you know, how many days away we are before the next holiday, whether it be the trumpets or the Passover. So now we reset the clock and we have 165 days, 165 days till the Passover day. 165 days. And when we think, we, we think that 165 days is a long period of time. But it will go very quickly. And I hope that you all, all, all of you had a wonderful experience during the Feast of Tabernacle. Here we locally in Canada, we were able to meet to some degree with a lot of restrictions, wearing a mask, unable to sing praises to God, but at least we're able to spend the time together with brethren, congregate under one roof and observe the whole festival for eight days. So it was definitely a blessing when it comes to this regard. So welcome all of you. One again, we miss you. No matter where you are, whatever states, whatever country you're turning in, thank you for joining us again here for another, for another Sabbath service. And this time it's coming not just from Burlington, Ontario, but it's also coming from Burlington and Ottawa congregation who are actually forced to meet online as the COVID-19, the coronavirus, you know, hit the second wave and is spreading again like crazy. So if you're here for the first time, thank you for joining. Hopefully we find this Sabbath service meaningful and edifying. And before we move on, we'll ask for the blessings for the services as we move on. So at this time, please join in opening prayer, and will be the opening prayer will be done by Brother Lennon from the Burlington Congregation. Please bow your head. Dear God, thank you for gathering us all here together safely today. Please bless the service that we're going to put into your hands. Um, allow us to be edified by it. And we thank you for allowing us to come into your presence on this your Sabbath day. We pray that everything with the technology goes well, that it reaches as many people as possible. And we pray that this service is blessed. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Brother Lyndon. Now, all of you, if you have a Bible, Bible ready, I would like you to turn your Bible to to Ephesians, but before we go to the scripture reading, we'll have an opening hymn, but I'm already warning you, turn your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5, which after the opening hymn, the scripture reading will come from, but first before we get, get there, we'll have an opening hymn, and it's on page, if you have the old hymnals, paper hymnals, will be page on 17, but don't worry if you don't have the hymnals, the, the words will be projected on your screen, we gather together. 
Good afternoon, brethren. Happy Sabbath. Uh, as was mentioned previously, the scripture reading today is from Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 20. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Daniel. Now, at this time, we just will run quickly through some of the announcements. I have a few of them here on my list. The first one, please always remember, as always, weekly Bible study will take place Wednesday, Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. So please join Pastor Agent David as he's covered the, the book of Psalms, Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And as always, we always encourage you and we thank you. We appreciate your presence as every single week, every single Sabbath. Please join us next week at the same time for another Sabbath service coming here from Burlington and Ottawa at 7.30 p.m. And here locally, we are all aware, but for, for the audience that you watch us, you might not be aware of this, but Brother Jim French was ordained to the ministry at the first day of the Feast of Tabernacle. And some of you might not even know him or might not even recognize his face, but he will be here at the end. He'll be actually, he'll be doing the closing prayer. So have a chance to at least see his face and partially meet him. And also next Saturday, after the Sabbath, there will be an infused, an infused study at 8 p.m. And more information will come up on the social media. So all the young people who are interested, just wait. All the information will come up on all the social media coming next week and i was just informed recently by pastor jim french he posted he said he posted all the sermons from the collingwoods they're on a cgi canada org so if you miss anything or if you just wanted to explore and see what happened during the collingwood during the feast you can visit us on cgi canada org and you can look at the sermons and also he posted a lot of pictures that was taken by pastor horain so if you miss anything what happened in Collingwood, you can revisit here. So I guess that will take up all the announcements. So now we'll have another hymn. And right after the hymn, we'll go to main message of today entitled, The Clock and the Compass. The Clock and the Compass. And the main message will be presented today to all of us by Pastor More Palmatier. But before we go to the main message, we'll have another hymn on page 28. What a friend we have in Jesus.
Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Sabbath Services here again with the Ottawa and Burlington congregations. It's a privilege to be together again after uh, being sort of apart and sort of together. Uh, we were apart here, but uh, together at the feast. So we hope you had an opportunity to worship and celebrate the feast uh, for the eight days uh, last week. And it certainly was a most unique feast experience, that's for sure, uh, regardless of where or, or how you celebrated I do, uh, again, pray that your eight-day festival keeping was uh, edifying and meaningful and, and everything a feast should be as we close out the um, this year's uh, festival cycle season and get ready for another six months or so of uh, uh, increasingly cold, dark, and, and damp weather as we anticipate and look forward to uh, the Passover season in less than six months. Again, it was uh, certainly a, a most unique feast. We were uh, blessed to actually be able to keep it in Collingwood, Ontario. And uh, for those of you in uh, the Ottawa congregation, many of you were able to keep it together in Ottawa, but with uh, definitely some restrictions that we certainly have never seen before. And we now find ourselves in the second wave, as, as it's uh, being called here, and we're back to being a meeting online in both uh, both locations. Again, certainly blessed uh, to be able to do so online. It was a different feast, as I said, but these are certainly and most definitely different times. And as God's people, this can't escape our attention, that these are different times. Our survival depends on our acknowledgement that we are indeed living in different times. One thing that I love to do is to walk. Each morning, most mornings, I go for an hour's uh, power walk, and usually it begins in the the end of the dark period, uh, usually around 6 a.m. or so. At least these days it's dark, uh, experiencing the break of dawn, experiencing the moon and the stars still in the sky, although if you were out uh, uh, yesterday or today, the moon is, is not there because of the new month that starts um, at sunset tomorrow tomorrow evening, Sunday evening at sunset. We proceed into the eighth month on God's calendar. It allows me not just some good exercise, but to spend time alone with God in prayer and in meditation in the quiet of the morning hours. When I do look up into the sky and see the moon uh, and the stars, it certainly is a, is a quick reminder of our creator, of his plan, that we, we live on a beautiful jewel of a planet, despite all that we have, as mankind has done to try and destroy it, that we do live in a beautiful place called Earth, and that we serve a glorious God and a glorious Messiah. And the, as I walk and, and connect with him in prayer and meditation and watch the darkness break into, into morning, it's, it's an amazing, uh, uplifting sight to behold. On the weekends, I like to kick it up a notch and, and go for, uh, increase it to about two hours. Sometimes it's a walk in the beach. Sometimes it's a hike back in the woods. Uh, and again, I do so a little bit earlier than, than most so that uh, I get the quiet even on the beach here in, the, in our area. It's a good long path that uh, takes a couple of hours to, to walk. And same time, early morning. And, uh, and before it's filled with other walkers and hikers and cyclists and, and what have you. And this foray into nature is even more inspiring than the quiet streets of my neighborhood that I walk normally. And the tools we have today 
are absolutely incredible. On my phone, as I'm sure is on yours, is a health app that comes naturally with the, the particular phone that I have that tracks not only my steps, but distance, elevation, and even energy output. It's even linked to a map app that helps guide me, and this is especially helpful when I'm on the trails. However, there's even a trail app that I use that uh, not only helps me find great uh, walking trails and hiking trails, but it keeps me going in the right direction and it's proven invaluable in some of the the uh, more moderate or harder trails that, I, that I've uh, traveled and taken on. Sometimes living in different times can be very helpful as we see in some of the technology that we have today. I recall a time much earlier, probably 15 years or so ago, when, uh, when my children were smaller, that my son and I were on a, a hike uh, together one Sunday afternoon without the benefits of the technology we have today. And we got caught up in some trails in, in the backwoods and had trouble finding our way out for a couple of hours. We, we listened for traffic. We looked at, uh, we looked at the, the sky and where the sun was going and we eventually were able to, to make our way out. But when you're stuck back in the, in the trees, uh, without the benefit of the normal, uh, of, of technology of maps, it certainly was an uh, interesting experience, especially for him at a younger age. Approximately 25 years ago, leadership books, like those by noted authors, you may have heard of these authors, I'm sure you have, Stephen Covey or John Maxwell, among many others, started writing about a concept called the clock and the compass. And their intent as they studied human behavior was really to help people understand principles that guide their choices and, and behavior. Stephen Covey, who uh, you may, whose most famous work is the Seven uh, Habits of Highly Effective People, in the mid-90s, about 1994, wrote a book called First Things First. And that book, in his estimation as he wrote that book, aimed to look at the gap many feel between the way we spend our time and what's deeply important to us. He goes on to, to say that traditional time management use at the time uses the clock only approach to help people achieve efficiency and control in their lives. Adding the element of the compass to, to the understanding of human behavior, he said leads to an elevated way of thinking and helps people examine whether they are doing things that are merely urgent or that are really important. Hence the title of that particular book, First Things First. Generally speaking, the clock deals with appointments and activities, as, as he noted, and the compass points toward vision, val vision, values, and mission. Another writer uh, talking about this concept of the clock and the compass notes this. He said, we're so busy running life's race according to the clock that we fail to check if we are busy running the right race. But time is meaningless if it lacks purpose and direction. This is why the compass trumps the clock. His words, this is why the compass trumps the clock. Operating the compass first ensures that you're running the right race, which guarantees that time works for you rather than against you. So as we return from the feast, and get settled back into our regular lives, which we've taken the last uh, seven days to do, having celebrated the eighth day last Sabbath, I hope 
that you're on a spiritual high. I hope you are, even given the circumstances that we celebrated in. The conclusion to the festival season should set our course for the ensuing six months and year. And as as I mentioned earlier, we're now embarking on increasingly long, dark, and cold days before spring comes to life and we find ourselves in less than six months at the Passover season again. But as we exit the feast and come back into our regular lives, did you come back, settling back in to who you were and your life before you left for the feast? Or have you set goals for yourself coming out of the feast? Have you identified weak spots that need addressing? Have you noticed that the times we live in, and it's hard not to, but given the 24-hour news cycle and how, how chaotic life is, it's easy to ignore or bury our heads in the sand and not notice how chaotic life is for the followers of God and how for mankind in general it is becoming increasingly chaotic. But specifically for the, the people of God, it is becoming increasingly harder with each passing week, month, and year. As the body of Christ continues to be kept apart and have its worship and its fellowship thwarted, does it mean more or less to you? If you were able to gather at at a feast, even in different circumstances, how much better was that finally getting together? And in our case, we hadn't been together since March 7th when we gathered for services on opening night on October 2nd. That's Almost seven full months between in-person worship service. Does it mean more to you now? This today, as we launch back into the uh, post-feast time in our lives in this particular year, having completed the festival cycle, this is not meant, this message here today is not meant to be a feel-good Christian living sermon as we come out of the uh, Feast of Tabernacles. We are coming out of what should be a spiritual high. It, it, that should be our goal coming out of the, the Feast of Tabernacles. If, if not at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, it, it, it would be hard to find a, t- a time of year coming out of a feast day that we shouldn't be on a, on a spiritual high. We've completed the annual festival cycle for this year. We need to ask ourselves, we must ask ourselves, what now? What now? So together today, Let's start looking ahead and planning for the next year, planning for the next six months before we come into the Passover season. Where do you want to be at Passover, individually and collectively as congregations? What is on the horizon that may affect your plans? And will you look back on this festival season as a meaningful one in your journey with God? Scottish poet uh, Robert Burns noted that the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. So the next phase of our walk should be life-changing if we promise, and it will be, if we properly manage our clock and our compass. So let's look at this concept of the clock and the compass. And we'll do so by looking back, we'll look ahead, and then we'll look inward and examine this concept of the clock and the compass. Let's begin in 1 Peter chapter 5, 
And as we begin, let's not ignore the elephant in the room. It's important as the people of God that we do not ignore the elephant in the room. And let's let's talk about what that elephant in the room is. We'll begin in 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll read verses 8 through 11. And never forget, please, 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 never forget this immutable truth. These, what we're going to read here, aren't just words, but they're a warning to God's covenant people, his followers, specifically in the face of grievous trials. But never forget this immutable truth. And that immutable truth is this, beginning in verse 8. Be sober and be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. And this is an interesting way that we can bring the world together. I would certainly, absolutely, most prefer that as congregations we are meeting in person, that we are, are, are experiencing the human to human contact that, that, that coming together offers us, that we experience the, the togetherness that worship allows us whether that be praying together or singing together. But while times are what they are, we are actually bringing the world together through technology. Resist him, Peter says, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings, everything you're experiencing, is being experienced by your, by your true brothers and sisters around the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So there's, there's a mindset that we have as the true followers of God, despite the chaos that we're, that we find ourselves in the midst of. To Him, to this God of all grace, be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen, Peter says. We can't forget this immutable truth that there is an adversary. And his mission is to seek whom he may devour. And he is not worried about those who follow him. He seeks those who resist him. That is who he is seeking. And he seeks the, the members of the body of Christ. And this, this warning that Peter provides to, to that body in the context of this letter is in the face of grievous trials. Let's go back and, and just check out the context here of this warning, back in 1 Peter 1, and look at the first couple of verses of, of this letter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, Grace to you and peace be multiplied. So he begins here by writing to the pilgrims living the way of God in areas where the ways of God are not acceptable. Perfectly appropriate then, very timely for us. Very timely for us. Dropping down to verse 6, we'll read verses 6 through 9 now. In this, in this, and really if you, this is referring to the living hope that we read about back in verse, in verse uh, 3. In this you greatly rejoice, the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this hope that we have. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, 
you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So here's Peter begins his his letter. He looks forward. And we should look forward. We need to look forward and be prepared for what is on the horizon. Many are hoping, and maybe, maybe you find yourself in this category, are hoping that 2020 is just an anomaly. That if we bury our head in the sand and wait for January 1st, 2021, when the Gregorian calendar turns over and it becomes a new year, we can expect things to be better. That really this was just 2020 is just off the charts. It was just an anomaly. And let's just get through the next two and a half months and it will be a new year and we'll be on to better things. That's a nice thought. That's a really nice thought. But scripture rewards us of extremely tough times ahead in the days that precede Christ's return. And don't forget why. Don't forget why we are warned of this. And we read it in the very first scripture. Our adversary is coming to an end of his time and seeks to devour the people of God. Don't fear this. Don't fear this, but don't ignore it either. We can't fear it, but we can't ignore it. There, and which is why Paul or Peter continues in verse 13. We'll read the next uh, from verses 13 through 16. This is why he continues and says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope, that hope that we that uh, he refers to back in the opening verses. Fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then continues. This is not just a a flippant grace that that Paul writes, uh, writes about in, in Romans and 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 defines proper grace versus what what uh, uh, um, weak believers believe is, is this false grace. But verse 14 continues to elaborate on that. It says, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, remembering where we came from and not returning back to those ways, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all conduct, all conduct. Because it is written, and he references the Torah back in Leviticus, be holy to his special called out people. Be holy, for I am holy. So we can't fear the adversary, but we can't ignore it either. And if you've missed the series of studies Pastor Adrian did on the on the book of Ephesians during the feast, please go to the archives and watch and, and review those. He provided a really good recap during the Sabbath evening study last Friday evening. But looking at Ephesians through, uh, through the lens of today is so much more important. Looking, looking at the scriptures through today's lenses is so much more important because times change. Times do change. 25 years ago, Covey noted that too much focus was spent on the clock and not enough on the compass. That was true for that time. But times change. Here we see, when we're going to go to 
Ephesians chapter 5, if you turn there, here what we're going to see in Ephesians 5 is that both are equally important. The clock and the compass are equally important. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll pick it up in verse 15. We'll just we'll pull this, this verse out of the text. We're going to go back and study it a little more in depth later on. But we're going to see here that the clock and the compass are equally important. Verse 15 says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Walk circumspectly or carefully. This is the compass. This is the compass. Walking circumspectly or carefully, as other versions say, this is the compass. What path are we taking? What path are we walking or we journeying on? Is it the right path? What settings should our compass be set to? Hold your place there. And let's go look at what settings our compass should be set to. We find that in Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Beginning in verse 101, and we could go anywhere in Psalm 119, but specifically talking about the settings of our compass during this journey. We'll begin in verse 101. I have restrained, David said, my feet from every evil way, that I may keep your word. Understanding there are two paths. There's God's path, or is the path of the adversary. I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And through your precepts, I get understanding. And therefore, because I, because it's not just intellectual knowledge, but because I have, under, I have understanding, and the Holy Spirit has allowed me to understand the wise, and then to an even greater depth, and, and we, we could go into that, and our deacon Jan has covered this in, in past messages, the difference, the, the progression from knowledge to understanding to wisdom, we then proceed to, to wisdom. Therefore, David said, because of all this understanding, I hate every false way. I hate everything that those who work against God stand for. But to God, to God and his law and his word, he says, your word on this journey, as I set my compass to make sure I'm walking the right path, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That is the compass that, that Paul talks about back in Ephesians 5, and we'll go back there, when he says to walk circumspectly. We set our compass according to the law of God in his way that he has set aside for us in his scriptures, and specifically beginning back in his law, in the Torah, with, with what Moses had penned for him. We then continue to see that the clock and the compass are equally important. In verse 16, where Paul says, redeeming the time. And the clock is equally important for two reasons. The first reason is because we are only allotted so much time in this life. And the older we get, the more this becomes painfully aware that we are only allotted so much time in this life. As brothers and sisters and friends take leave of this life, we are so reminded that we have only so much time. 
as brothers and sisters are stricken with terminal disease. It is our, the point is driven home that we have only so much time in this life. So the clock is so equally important to the compass. But also, but also there's a second reason. And for that, we're going to go to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. We're just going to read verse 10. Verse 10. And don't like pulling scriptures out, but for time's sake here, we're going to pull a scripture out here. We'll talk a little bit about context here in a second. But the clock is equally important because we have only so much time allotted to us in this life. And in verse 10, and while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. We have only so much time in this life, but there's also only so much time to get right with God. The plan of God will proceed according to his will. And as as has been covered so many times in the past, from Romans 11 and other places, but specifically Romans 11, when the door to the Gentiles close comes to when the when the door to the gentiles to come into the covenant closes god's plan moves on to the next phase it simply does and we read that here when in this parable when the bridegroom when the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding and the door was shut so the clock is equally important ever the much so as we get later on in life and as the return of christ and the uh, coming events are coming closer to us on the horizon. Metaphorically, we need to follow the correct directions to the door of the wedding, but also know that we are on the clock and the door will eventually close, and we must be on the right side of that door when it does. So that's why it's important. For us to, for us not to ignore the elephant in the room. And that study on Ephesians goes into far greater depth than I can possibly go into here. That there is an adversary and he is seeking to devour the, the body of Christ. And we cannot ignore that fact. We don't need to be afraid of it, but we can't ignore it. And the clock and the compass help us process what we need to do and sets, a, sets, a, sets out our course and the importance of that course. Now let's take a, take a moment to look back. Let's look back and see what the Bible teaches us about the end of the festival cycle and how that plays into how we can plan for ourselves for the next phase of our life coming out of this festival cycle, this festival season. Let's go back to Second Chronicles chapter 7. We covered this in, in extreme depth in the sermon on the Day of Atonement called Is Your Soul Afflicted? But let's go back here and just pick up some details here as it relates to coming out of the festival season and what we can learn from that experience of coming out of the keeping of the festivals. As we come to Second Chronicles chapter 7, and again, we take time to study this and and go all the way back to chapter 5, which is really where, where the, 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 this particular part of the scripture starts. 
but we're going to, to just to set the, the stage here for the context. Let's go to verse 10 to begin. And we read this in verse 10 of 2 Chronicles 7. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people away to their tents, joyful and glad of heart, for the good that the Lord had done for David, for Solomon, and for his people, Israel. So in context here, after the dedication of the temple, they finally came, they finally finished the making of the temple under the oversight of Solomon. And after Solomon dedicated this temple to the God of his father, David, and the God of his fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God we serve as covenant people of the same covenant, they kept the feast for all eight days, even so much so as departing the next day, as we read earlier, as we, as we read there, departing to their tents. And then God appeared to their king. After all of that happened, God then appeared to their king. And again, take time to read all of the context and all of all of the lead up to it, beginning with chapter five. But when God appears to their king, their leader, we we could go go we could go back as far as verse twelve to begin, but let's not take the time to do that here. Let's begin down in verse seventeen, which is where he gets into his expectations for his people and, and covering this with their with their leader, Solomon. As for you, speaking to Solomon. As for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked. As for you, what happens to you, God says, and we'll we'll continue reading here through uh, verse 20. What happens to you depends on your compass. Will you walk circumspectly? As, as Paul says, let's, let's now read that with this in mind. As for you, God says to Solomon, if you walk before me as your father David walked, if your compass is set to the settings that his compass was set, and do according to all that I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom, as I covenanted with David your father, saying you shall not fail to have a man as ruler in Israel. So if your compass is set to his settings, there will be blessings. But if you set your compass to different settings, if they are not set and not calibrated the way your father's compass was calibrated, if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot them from my land, which I have given them, speaking about his people Israel. And this house, which is this temple, which I have sanctified for my name, I will cast out of my sight. I do not want to be in the midst of a people that do not worship me, that betray me and follow other gods. And I will make it a proverb. It will stand as this beautiful but empty and useless building. And I will make it a proverb and a byword for all peoples. What happens to us? Depends on our compass. Will we choose to walk circumspectly? As we, as we've been taught, and because we've been online for the last nearly seven full months now, you've been privy to some of the, 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 our, uh, our messages from our, our local leaders. 
there are covenant blessings. And if you tune into the Bible studies of Isaiah and Revelation and, and the Psalms and, and the myriad of other studies that, have, that are already in the archives, there are covenant blessings and there are covenant cursings. For those who have accepted the, their invitation into the covenant, there are blessings and there are cursings. So following a very joyful feast where, as we read, they left joyful and, and glad of heart, God appeared to their leader with a warning. Walk circumspectly and guide your people accordingly. That's a lesson for us to glean here at the end of the feast. That as we come out of this joyful time, we cannot forget and miss clear instruction from our God that there is a right way to walk. And we must be walking that way. Let's go to Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2. For context, we pick it up in verse 1. Haggai chapter 2 and in verse 1. And we read in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. So as the feast was coming to an end, day 21 of month 7 is the seventh day of the feast. So as the, as the, the holy time, the appointed time set apart from creation by our creator for this eight-day festival was coming to an end, the word of God came to the prophet Haggai. And we read beginning in verses 3 to 5. We'll read verses 3 to 5 to start. Here's what we read. This is the word of, of the Lord, the word of Yahweh, that came to the prophet Haggai. Who was left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all of you people of the land says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you, and do not fear. What lesson can we, lessons can we glean from this prophecy to the people of Israel that God gave to Haggai here as, as we, the covenant people, are part of this same covenant in these most unique and different times? Times change, and so must we. Read what we read there. Who was left among you and saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? If you saw what was there originally, and you see now that this is nothing. But be strong. Be strong and don't fear. That is his message to the people of Israel. Who remembers the heyday of the 70s and 80s in the church of God? I grew up, my first feast was in 1976 when I was five years old. My second feast was 1977, coincidentally enough. But it was in Mount Pocono, Pennsylvania with 10,000 people. I then spent many years in Niagara Falls with six, seven, eight, nine thousand people. The building now is a, is a, is a uh, casino in Niagara Falls, New York. But do you remember who out there remembers the heyday of the 70s and the 80s? Look now. Look around us now. 
this seems like our gatherings don't even compare. They don't even compare. But did he command them to rebuild and seek the glory days so they could attain the status of their former glory? No. He didn't instruct them that way at all. He said, be strong. Be strong. And if you were faithful to the covenant, he said, I'm with you. So don't be afraid. Be strong, be faithful, and don't be afraid. Don't change how you walk because the times are changing around you. Be strong and walk circumspectly because I'm with you. You can walk properly. You can be strong. You can be faithful. And you can do so without fear because he is with his true covenant people. That was his instructions. We can look back and go, oh, how how we could wish, how I wish I truly, as a human being, as, 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 as the human father, Murray, how I wish my kids and all of the, the kids that I love today could experience what I experienced as a young man in the glory days of the church of God. But that's not where we're at. And God doesn't say go back and achieve those glory days. He says be strong, be faithful, and don't fear. Why? Verse 6. Verse 6 and 7. Here's why we look forward and not look back. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more, in a little while, I will shake heaven and earth and the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory. That's why we look forward, because our hope is in the return of Jesus Christ. And the return of Jesus Christ is for many reasons. But part of it, as we, as we see in Daniel, and then covered later on in, in some of the epistles and in Revelation, is that he may come and crush the kingdoms of the adversary. So that the ways that, that hurt and harm his people are put down. But don't fear, be faithful and be strong, because at some point I'm coming. The desire of all nations will come, and he will shake the kingdoms of this earth. And then God will fill the temple. And we read about that at the end of the, the book of Revelation. So the temple of God in 2020 is different from the temple of God in 1985. Because 2020 is different from 1985. There is no indication that 2020 is simply a blip. But all scriptural indications point to 2020 being simply the beginning of the next phase of history. Hopefully, as a human being, I hope 2020 was just a blip. But what I read here is we must prepare otherwise. We must prepare otherwise. And again, this prophecy came at the end of this joyful time of year. Nehemiah 9 will continue to look back. We'll jump ahead just a few decades, a number of decades later from the, the prophecy of Haggai to Nehemiah 9. Following their full eight-day keeping of the feast, 
Nehemiah 9, and we'll begin here in verses 1 through 3. Now, on the 24th day of this month, and this month, if you just go back to the previous verses, clearly is talking about month 7, where they had just finished keeping the Feast of Tabernacles. On the 24th day of this month, two full days after after the eight-day festival had ended, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting. Wow, they had just they had just fasted two weeks previous to this. Yet at the end of all of this, they fasted together again, in sackcloth and with dust on their heads. And th- then those of Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners. Was this because they were racist? Was this because they were bigots? Or were they following the instructions of God not to behave like non-covenant people? And they stood together and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for one-fourth of the day. Six hours they stood and read from the law of God. And for another fourth, for six more after that, they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. Can you imagine setting up, and we were, we were kidding around with the family this morning. Can you imagine setting up a feast schedule where we would have services from 8 a.m. till 2 p.m.? We read about it here. We read about it actually back in the, the book of Ezra as well. So we set up, we set up the service for, to run from 8 till 2. And what do we hear? We hear the Torah being read. So for six hours a day, from day one through day eight, we start in Genesis 1 and we get as far as we can. Or we start in Deuteronomy 1 and we we cover the entire book of Deuteronomy and just hear it being read. And then when we're done, we worship together for another six hours. I dare say the organizers of the feast would hear some murmuring, much like, the leaders of the, the, the children of Israel back in, in the, the times of the Exodus heard murmuring as well. But they separated themselves from outside influence, at least from a behavioral perspective. They fasted. They immersed themselves in the law of God and confessed their collective sins and worshiped together. And they did all this at the end of the feast, at the end of this magnificent feast that they kept. And that And then chapter 10, verse 28 through 29. And then the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the Nephilim, and all those who had separated themselves from the people of the lands to the law of God. So there's, there's, there's where we get the clarification that they were to separate themselves because of behavior, because of the evil influence that was around them. They separated themselves to the law of God. So they re, what they did was they readjusted their compass. They'd spent years with the compass calibrated according to the ways of the land. And after hearing the law of God, they, they couldn't help but understand and know they had to recalibrate their compass. And they recalibrated according to the law of God. Their wives, their sons and their daughters, everyone who had knowledge and understanding. And these joined with their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law. They did this together at the end of the feast, which was given by Moses, the servant of God. And to observe and do all the commandments of the, of the Lord our God and his ordinances and his statutes. And this was a collective experience following the Feast of Tabernacles. 
evil influence surrounded them. But they, after hearing the word of God expounded to them day after day after day during the Feast of Tabernacles, they came to the end and realized together we need to fast. We need to not just not just leave and go back to our former lives. We need to dive deeper into the law of God. We need to dive deeper into worship. And we need to dive deeper into repentance and make sure that we are our, our compasses are calibrated appropriately. Collectively, they did this following the Feast of Tabernacles. Now let's look forward. We addressed the need to understand why God gives us the clock and the compass to guide guide our, our behavior, guide our decision-making by addressing the elephant in the room. And again, the, the study on Ephesians goes into greater depth because we we are being pursued by the adversary and he only cares about devouring the body of Christ. We looked back and we saw Biblical lessons derived specifically at the end of the feast for the people of God, all pointing them properly to recalibrating their compass, to make sure it's pointed and set in the right direction. Now let's look forward. Let's look forward. Think back to the end of last feast. It was less than 12 months ago. It was less than 12 months ago that the feast was ending and where we are today. COVID. Black Lives Matter, antichristic policies from our governments, absolute chaos and division and bitter hatred between parties in our governments, people that are paid by us to serve us, serve their own needs, and fight to the point where we, the people, are the victims. And this is increasingly prominent. And becoming a part of our lives. We are paying for our own destruction. Literally. So this virus. And that just happens to be this year's virus. Movements like Black Lives Matter. These antichristic policies. That threaten our way of life. As followers of Christ. Chaos within our governments. Riots in urban centers. And mainstream media, and this is not just in the United States, this is in Canada, this is all over the world. A mainstream media that is equally divided in, along philosophical lines, completely biased, and therefore untrustworthy. And as we have sadly witnessed in some cases, this has directly affected the body of Christ. Then we read the words of Christ. We read the words of the apostles. We read the revelation of Jesus Christ. We read the prophets. We can, we cannot help but know that 2021 will not be better. And this was why I started back in first Peter and Ephesians earlier. Let's go to Revelation one and read as we look forward. After looking back, let's look forward. Revelation chapter 1. And as we look forward, 
this book, this revelation from Jesus Christ himself, will become increasingly important as the introduction to this book tells us. Verses 1 through 3 of chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, his people, alive at the end time. Things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ and to all the things he saw. Blessed is he who reads and keeps reading, as we've been taught. And those who hear and keep hearing the words of this prophecy and keep and keep keeping those things which are written in it, for the time is near. This, this book, this, this letter, this revelation from, the, from Jesus Christ himself is going to become increasingly important. And we will be blessed if we read here and keep it. We can't be afraid. This is why we're told we can't be afraid. Don't fear. Be strong. Be faithful. And don't fear. Because as long as we have our compass set to the right, the, the right settings, he's with us. And he reminds us he's with us by giving us some foreknowledge of what lies ahead. So while we can come through here like 2020, we don't need to fear if 2021 isn't going to be any better, if it might be worse. We don't need to fear that. Because our settings, our compass is set to the settings that we need them set to. The news within this book isn't feel good. It isn't feel good. Absence of the wisdom of God, absence of the knowledge that the Holy Spirit gives us that transforms our knowledge to understanding and to wisdom. This book, absence of that, this book is a pretty scary book. That's why it's caused so much stress and confusion over the years. That's why I'm grateful that we study it, that we've got it in our archives, that we've been able to not just hear studies on it, but discuss it together and come to a deeper understanding of what God, through Christ, tells us through this revelation. And this is why the Spirit of God is so important. This is why his people are defined by those who have his Holy Spirit, because it is the difference between common sense and true understanding. And I made a statement earlier that caused, in earlier this summer, I suppose, that caused some kerfuffle, where I, I said, you know, we, we can't rely on common sense. And I, th- I think the 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 brother or sister that 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 took took exception to this mis- misunderstood what I said. And it is the Holy Spirit that allows us a deeper understanding. God gives man common sense. It's part of our human spirit. But people with just their human spirit, absent of the Holy Spirit, can get into all sorts of misunderstanding and trouble reading the Bible. But it is the true followers of Christ who actively work and study, actively invoke the Holy Spirit, and actively train and dig and dig and study that can come to a deeper understanding and a proper understanding and not be fearful and not be affected by outside influences. So there is a difference between common sense and the the wisdom and understanding that comes with the people of God. 
And that's why the book of Revelation doesn't need to be scary. It's got some scary things in it, but we don't need to fear. We need to be strong. We need to be faithful, but not fear. Let's go to 2 Timothy 1 as we continue to look forward. And see Paul's last letter to his closest friend and his protege, preparing him, Timothy, for the next phase in his ministry. And let's go to 2 Timothy 1 and look a little bit more about looking forward and why God is so, was so adamant all those years ago when we read in one of those earlier scriptures about not fearing, about not worrying, about being strong and being faithful. And we'll pick it up in verse 3, verses 3 to, to 8. I thank God, Paul says, as he writes his what we have as his final recorded letter before he took leave of this life, before he died. And he left, this was the, the chronologically the last letter that we have that he wrote to his dearest friend, his dearest son, Timothy, dearest son of the faith. As he says in verse 2, his beloved son. I thank God, verse 3, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, because of the the life that Paul led, that he could he could come to the end of his life with a pure and clean conscience. And we talked about that earlier this summer. And knowing the 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 mind of Timothy and how devoted to God he was and how he was a product of, of he was a third generation product that Paul knew for sure, his mother and his grandmother. Therefore, verse six, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, the, the, the Holy Spirit that is within us, stir this up which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. When we properly and actively activate the Holy Spirit, it gives us power to endure and power to overcome. We can't do that alone. Common sense doesn't get us there. It simply doesn't. If it did, the entire world would be there because mankind was made with common sense. We, that's part of our, our human mind. But the Holy Spirit, the little bit of what makes God who he is, what makes Messiah who he is, gives us power to endure and power to overcome. It gives us, as we read, the ability to love. The ability to love Brethren, through all things, the ability to forbear, the ability to to see that when we come into conflict within the body, as we heard about in the the, the studies, it's really the influence of the, of the adversary, that we are not battling flesh and blood, but we are battling the prince of the power of the air. That knowledge allows us to love even even those who work against us, even those that we are in conflict with. So the Holy Spirit gives us power to endure, power to overcome, and the ability to love the brethren through all things. And it also gives us a sound mind. 
a sound mind, which allows us not to give way to temptation and not to give way to all winds of doctrine, as we read about in Ephesians 4. Because of all of that, we come to verse 8. And Paul tells Timothy, therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We, can't, we don't need to be ashamed in this life. We don't need to be fearful that while the world changes around us, that what we do may now not only ruffle feathers, but may break laws eventually. We don't need to fear. We can be confident, not ashamed of our, of our Savior, of those who have gone before us, of the, the gospel that we hold so dear. Let's now spend some time with the words of Christ, looking forward. Looking forward to the next six months. How we can process this concept of the clock and the compass. We can go anywhere through scripture. I mean, we could, we could, we could find anywhere to go. It, it, so much of this is written about in the epistles, the prophets, the apostles. But let's go to the words of Christ and spend some time with the words of Christ. And we'll begin back in Matthew 4. And we'll just spend some time here in the Sermon on the Mount, as we bring this to a conclusion. And as he spoke to the Judean peoples here, as he began his ministry, we'll pick this up in chapter 4. And as he speaks to the Judean peoples, by extension, he's speaking to us. Those of us who have been grafted into the same covenant. And what we're going to do here is review his opening message to his, as he opens his ministry, as he begins his ministry through the lens of the clock and the compass. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, and again, from the time that Jesuit, that time refers back to verse 12, where Jesus has heard that the John the Baptist had been put, put in prison. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. The clock is ticking. The clock is important. The compass is important too. But here, Christ is, is, is clearly insinuating that time is of the essence. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Chapter five, as he begins his we call the Sermon on the Mount, it's really outlining, he's really outlining, and we've said this before, he's really providing a syllabus to his ministry here on this earth. As we, as we would get in our, in our school classes, our university or college classes at the beginning of a program, we get a, an outline of what the, the teacher is going to be covering for the, for the, the terms of the course, for the, the length of the course. We can kind of see this same method, methodology used here in the Sermon on the Mount. But repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Time is of the essence, and time's a wasting. Verse 11. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you 
and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. That flies in the face of common sense. Only someone with the Holy Spirit could joyfully accept and endure persecution. Common sense tells us not to endure persecution. Common sense tells us to fight back. The human instinct tells us to defend ourselves. Here, we are told, when they revile and persecute you, for my name's sake, rejoice and be glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When we are persecuted for his name's sake, we're just in a great big long line of those who went before us. But hang in there, Christ is telling us. The, t- the tough times are only temporary. The clock will expire eventually on our persecution. It will go away. So how we can how can we walk circumspectly? How should our compass be set so that we can reach the time where the clock expires on our persecution? He proceeds to tell us how in this in these subsequent verses. You're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Not only can you invoke the metaphor of being salt, but let's use the metaphor of light. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. And this goes right back to the Torah, where Israel was to be that, that city on a hill that everyone could witness what, what Israel was doing and learn from Israel how to please God. Nor, verse 15 continues, do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And he gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so, show so, sh- let your light so shine before men that they may see your works and glorify your Father who is in heaven, because it is about his name's sake that we act. So as we realize and we understand the clock is ticking, how we, how we walk circumspectly, how we set our compass is important. And he starts out here by saying, don't be changed by this world. Don't let outside forces change who you are. Be steadfast, be immovable, and be the example God expects his covenant people to set, regardless of whether anyone follows us or not, regardless of, of whether the, the doors of our congregations are filled or whether they remain as they are today. Be immovable. Be steadfast and don't be affected by this world. Light shines into darkness. Salt, when used properly, doesn't lose its flavor. Verse 17, continuing this concept of how we can, as we look forward, how we assure ourselves that our compass is properly set. Don't think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle, not the tiniest marking of the Torah will go away. Will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. And whoever therefore breaks one of these least commandments and teaches men so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, unless it goes exceed, unless it goes so much further 
than simply a shiny outside, a, a false front, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So we must be true and changed on the inside. We must put on not a false facade or a false front, but we must change, be changed from the inside and have our compasses set accordingly. Dropping down to verse 23. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and therefore, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. And first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. We aren't in this journey alone. We are part of a brotherhood. But taking care of our relationships is important. And as we heard in the studies, how can we go? We've got six, less than six months till the next Passover. And if, if any of us have anything against a brother, we can't go as we heard. Passover to Passover, Passover to Passover, Passover, feast season to feast season, and not repair and address the relationships within the body. He won't even accept it. We may provide money to the church that you go to, but God won't honor and receive those offerings if we have anything against a brother. Because we're not in this journey alone. We are part of a people. We are part of a group. Verse 48, again, skimming through this initial Sermon on the Mount, as it's been come, been, been come to know. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. You shall become, you shall strive for perfection, strive for completeness, uh, following the example of Jesus Christ. And what we get from this is not just some feel-good thing that we that Christ Christ closed this portion with. It actually comes from the Torah. Hold your place there and go back to Deuteronomy 18. Go back to Deuteronomy 18. Christ is not teaching anything new here. He's actually calling upon words he already gave as the I am. Deuteronomy 18, verse 13 and 14. Speaking here in this against against wicked customs and not following other nations. Let's pick it up in verse 9 for context. When you come into the land, talking about coming into the promised land, the land that God set apart many, many centuries before with their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, that they didn't need to be afraid to go into. He's going to give that to them as long as they they follow his, his expectations and his commands as they come into it. You shall not learn to follow the abomination of those nations. Don't do the, don't become evil. Don't let them change you. Don't let them change who you are. Verse 13, you shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you will, you will dispossess, if you follow my commands, I will give you this land and you will dispossess them. The reason why I don't want you to follow them is they listen to soothsayers and they listen to diviners. Mankind has always dabbled in witchcraft, dabbled in the occult, because Satan is the god of this world, and he operates at a different level, seeking to devour the people of God. 
And when he wins people over to him, they become workers for him. And we can't become, we can't follow their example and become like them because they are following the example of their father, the adversary. But as for you, speaking to his covenant people, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. There is a different expectation for the people of God. But when we go back to Matthew 5 and we see this wasn't just some feel-good statement that Christ had. He's actually repeating what was written in the Torah. As, as he seeks to help us understand how our compass should be set. Chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where our love is, that is where we will be devoted to. That is where we will be devoted to. Our compass can only be calibrated correctly or incorrectly. If it's incorrectly calibrated, we will not be on the right path. But if we, if our compass is properly calibrated and set according to the settings that God has given his people through his law, and we follow it faithfully, and we walk, walk redeeming the time, we are promised to arrive at the destination. Dropping down to verse 24, again, we can't have it both ways. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. We can't serve God and mammon. We can't serve our living God and serve our our lustful human desires. Chapter 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. That's easy. There are so many paths to destruction. It is so easy to find. That's why God's covenant people from the beginning of recorded history, when they were not focused properly, when they were not using the clock and the compass, it was just so easy to find destruction. Because broad is the way and wide is the gate that leads to that destruction. But narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way, which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Why? Because it's hard to find. It takes effort to redeem the time and to walk properly, to make sure your compass is set right, to make sure that you're moving at an appropriate speed. Because it is difficult to find. But it's findable. It's findable for us if we put in the effort, we put in the time, we have the desire to do so. Verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? On our journey, even if our compass is set right, even if we are redeeming the time, and making good progress on our journey, walking at a healthy pace, compass set accordingly and walking appropriately, we may encounter some on our journey who would recommend a direction that you may not be going in. Trust your compass. Trust your compass. 
If it is properly set, trust it. They may be right. The direction they may be advising you may be the right path, but they may be wrong. A properly set compass set according to God's word will help you decide if you should heed their advice or not. Trust your compass. Set it and trust it. Verse 21, he closes here. After beginning in verse 17 of chapter 4 with an admonition that clock is ticking, he closes here after going through and really providing a a detailed layout on how to properly set our compass, how to properly set our course in this journey. He then closes with references back to the clock here in verses 21 through 25. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Again, combined the clock and the compass are important here. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew the, the door shut. I never didn't know you. I, I didn't recognize your, your acts. They weren't, they weren't, your compass wasn't properly set. The actions that, that, that you've been, you've been on the journey that you've personally been on isn't the journey I told you to go on. I never knew. I, I, I don't recognize you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken to him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came. And the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. As much as his guidance here is to help us set our journey properly, that we, we calibrate our compass, he warns us that the doors will close at some point and there will, there will come a time when the door closes or there'll come a time when we'll get hit with a storm. The compass, or as we heard at the feast, the anchor grip that we heard about during the feast, that compass, that, that assuredness that we, that we, that we are anchored properly that will help us survive and will help us endure whatever may befall us. So the clock ticks, not just that the close of this age will come and the, 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 the God's plan goes into effect into the next stages, but we may be hit by trials. We may be hit by storms and we will need to be properly anchored. We, we will need to be properly set to with, with, withstand those storms because a house built on a rock, as we are set on the rock here on, on the foundation of Jesus Christ and his law and his words, will not fall. Don't lose sight of what we read in First Peter, of what we read in Ephesians chapter 2. Let's take a, a, a couple of seconds to go over there and read what we read there. Ephesians chapter 2. Don't lose sight that there is a devil walking about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. His eyes set on the body of Christ waiting for someone to lapse to the back of the pack, waiting for someone to lose focus, waiting for someone to dabble in in areas that are unbecoming the people of God. Trying to get us to link with his mind and follow 
his course of action versus being anchored in the truth and following the ways of Jesus Christ. Verse 1 and 2 of Ephesians 2, and you, and there's a, a great explanation in the uh, the second, uh, the, the third study covering Ephesians chapter 2 that talks about being made alive here. I'll, I'll let you listen to that uh, and study that yourself. You, uh, who, who he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. We can't ignore the fact that there is an adversary, and he is he so badly wants to take us down. We must realize that the clock is ticking, and that our compass needs to be properly set, and we need to be properly anchored in his way. The events we see taking place, the events we read about in the prophets, in the revelation, that will t- will assuredly take place as, as we read, will affect the body of Christ because they are designed to for a number of reasons that we've heard about in many messages. They are designed to test us or at the very least are being used by the adversary to trip us up. But the events will affect the body of Christ. We've seen it just this last year. And I I, I mentioned this in, in my sermon during the feast. I'll mention it here again. Worship at the feast has been affected by COVID. I can't imagine that God created COVID, but Satan has certainly used it to affect the body of Christ. We gathered in our feast site without singing. We gathered with masks so we couldn't see each other's smiles. We couldn't make that true human connection. We avoided human-to-human contact, human-to-human touch. This was all done in the name of health and safety, which is understandable and, I suppose, appropriate, or at least understandable. But it does have an adverse effect on the body of Christ. We failed to properly worship. We failed to sing together. We were unable to make human-to-human contact. We were unable to to do what we, we always do in worshiping together and fellowshipping together. The adversary is all about trying to weaken us, trying to take us down, trying to devour us. This week, here's another example of how the events in this world will affect the body of Christ. We, we can't just haphazardly go, go through this life watching what goes on around us and not thinking that Satan is going to use these events to attack his people. This week, you may be following the, the uh, putting up of uh, Judge Amy Coney Barrett for uh, Supreme Court of the United States and how she has to go through a, a grilling in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee. And what happened this week, I believe it was Wednesday, was Orwellian, to say the least. I, I couldn't believe uh, that this happened. And the, the, some news sources uh, were, were quite quick to point this out. She was taken to task for using the term sexual preference 
in reference to people who participated in the LGBT way of life. And this term sexual preference has been used by the gay community for years and years. Um, it had been used by the the left or the, the Marxist uh, side of the, the political spectrum as as early as the day before. Um, she she when she uh, uh, was on the stand. But in an effort to discredit her. They hooked on the one particular senator hooked on her term, her use of the term sexual preference. And it became such a bone of contention for this one senator and her vain attempt to to discredit her. Really, what she was doing was trying to say that by the use of the term sexual preference, we're saying that homosexuality is a choice. And for the LGBT movement, they want to say that people are born that way, that it is a it is just a, a natural way for people to live. But to followers, people who believe in God. They understand that it, it's a preference, and it had been a term that had been used even by the gay movement, the LGBT movement. But it became such a bone of contention that in order to discredit her, while she was testifying, the 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 folks that that uh, uh, published the Merriam-Webster dictionary in midstream changed the definition of sexual preference in real time to note that this is now an offensive term. Before she took the stand, the, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary had no inclination that sexual preference was an offensive term. Before she left her seat at the end of at the end of that that session, that Senate session on Wednesday, it had been changed to say that this is now a sexual a a a, um, a, a term of of, of uh, an offensive term was the, the 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 term I wanted. It is now an offensive term. This will affect the body of Christ. How do we turn and preach from 1 Corinthians chapter 6? Not from the law, not from the Old Testament, but from the apostle to the Gentiles. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10. How will, in the future, how will we be able to read this? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? They won't. Paul, the, the, the apostle to the Gentiles, who spent three years with Jesus Christ, said so himself here. Do not be deceived. He got this from Christ himself. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. That's offensive. We're okay to say it now. But even when we're not okay to say it, it'll still be right. Even when it's offensive, it will still be the words of God. So we are seeing the body of Christ being affected today by all of these things. November 3rd is just over two weeks away. And it's a date we must pay attention to. Not because we're political, not because we support one party or the other. I'm, I'm not American. I, ha- I have no skin in the game, except for the fact that I'm a member of the body of Christ and we are targets for the adversary and we will be affected by the events of November 3rd. You think 2020 was riotous? Just wait for the outcome of the most anticipated election in history. Either outcome will have an effect on our lives as the body of Christ. 
Society is so divided that the body of Christ will be affected by the outcome of the election. Either the Marxists will be in total power, either they will attain the presidency, take the Senate, and keep the House in the United States. They will be in total power, and laws will change to the detriment of the body of Christ. And civil war may result. Those who cling to their First and Second Amendment rights, and this has every indication that this could spill over into Canada. When the riots occurred this last summer, it didn't just occur in the U.S. It occurred in Canadian urban centers, too, and continues to do so from time to time. Or the other outcome, the Marxists will not get in. They won't quite get in, but they will be further emboldened to increase their intensity against all that true believers hold near and dear, all that we follow, all that we hear our master and our Messiah say, don't fear, be faithful, be courageous. All that we hold near and dear will continue to become a target as this term sexual preference, as First Corinthians 6, this very week, it's not official yet, but at least the, the definitions in the dictionaries could now point at this, this, this verse and say, this is offensive, and we can't say it. There's a lot ahead for us here in the body of Christ. We've come out of this feast on a, on a high, but we must have purpose. We must understand the clock is ticking. We must understand our compass must be set right. Let's finish up in Ephesians 5, where our brother Daniel read for us. Ephesians chapter 5. We'll begin in verse 8 through 11. For you were once darkness, but, but, now are, 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 but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Just have your compasses set appropriately. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. And then down to verse 15. We'll read through verse 21. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit and speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Strengthen each other through worship. We couldn't worship properly at the feast. But we must find ways to worship together. We are strengthened by psalms. We are strengthened by prayers. We are strengthened by hymns. We are strengthened by spiritual songs. Giving thanks always for all things to the God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. The feast is over. But our work is just beginning. The body of Christ. The true believers of God will endure. They will endure. But it will endure together as long as we pay attention to the clock and the compass. Well, Pastor Murray, what a great message again. It's always a perfect timing, and not just the timing, and especially after coming from the feast and 
some of us experience this time as a great time, and some of us not so much, but what a perfect message. What a perfect message. Thank you so much. And I hope, brethren, and, you know, I pray, and all of us should do the same thing, that hopefully one day, let's say, someone was, would line, up, line us up in the same one single lane, and let's say will ask us to take our compass, spiritual compass, and take it out. And make it public to all of us to see. I hope that the arrow, every single one of us, will point to the same direction. And with this, brethren, we'll finish. We'll have our closing prayer by Pastor Jim French. And right after the closing prayer, we'll have the last closing hymn for today, for this Sabbath. He leaded me, which is on page 40. So closing prayer first, and then the last closing hymn. May God be with all of you, and thank you for tuning in to our broadcast. May God bless you all. Holy Father, thank you very much for the message by Pastor Murray. We thank you for the encouragement that he gave us and also for the warning that we can have a vision of what's going to be ahead and we can understand that. With the clock and the compass, we understand perhaps every time we look at a clock, we can learn to Try to make the best of, of the time that we you've given to us. Use time effectively. And we understand that we need to be balanced with that. We can't spend all of our time working or all of our time studying. Uh, we need to have balance in our lives. And so help us to have that proper balance, Father. And with the compass, help us to have the correct vision and the correct values. And we uh, look to uh, your church, your ministry, and your word to provide us with the knowledge of what those correct values and correct vision are. And we thank you for that. We ask that we stay teachable. Pastor Murray talked about the Holy Spirit and how many valuable things it does in our lives and and how it works with our common sense to have uh, even greater sense, Father. And so we ask that you pour your Holy Spirit out upon us and help us to make use of that Holy Spirit in our lives. Um, especially as we were warned, the times ahead are, are going to be particularly tough. So we ask your dismissal now. We thank you for the beautiful Sabbath day you've given to us, the beautiful Feast of Tabernacles we were able to enjoy in safety, Father. I don't, I haven't heard of any uh, incidents of COVID from any of the feast sites, and, and we thank you for your uh, looking over us and your protection. So we ask that you look out after our health and our safety this week, Bring us back next week safely for another service together. We thank you for this through our high priest, the Lamb of God, Jesus. Amen.